Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Perhaps this passage is familiar to you. We're just going to break down this passage. Uh, you might say this goes hand in hand with our lesson on Sunday evening. And again, I'll just leave it to the Lord to determine um, how He's going to speak to each one of us tonight. And I just trust that this is for us to consider. But nothing exceptionally deep. Again, quite familiar perhaps. But I like the familiar passages in Scripture and the reminders that he gives to us. And there it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, the same man who wrote Galatians that we've been considering for so long wrote this to this man, Timothy. He said, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And once again, we'll bow our heads together and ask the Lord to bless this lesson tonight. Heavenly Father, we do come to you, Lord, asking for your blessing upon our considerations this evening. Father, I thank you, Lord, that we can gather here together on the middle of this work week, Father, when we're tired and perhaps weary, Lord, from our labors that you have called us to, certainly. But, Father, we pray that you've also, well, given us the strength tonight, Lord, as you've called us to be here this evening, that you'll give us the strength, Father, that we might receive from this word, familiar or no, Lord, exactly what it is that you have for us. Something new, if that be the case, Father, but also something familiar and comforting, if it's something that we are familiar with. Lord, I pray you would comfort us by it, whatever the situation might be. Bless us tonight, Father. Help us to be joyful in this time of fellowship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we gather here together on these Wednesday nights for a Bible study, right? We, we study together. We um, well, I mentioned, I think I mentioned this before, but I talked with my kids not too long ago, and I asked them about Wednesday night Bible study, and they said, you know, we never realized that Wednesday night actually was set aside as a Bible study. Like, when we were at Brother Doug's church in, in, in Colorado, when he was going through Job for literally 40 weeks every Wednesday night, you didn't realize? No, we had no idea. Not until, <laughs> not until we came here do we realize Wednesday night was a set-aside Bible study for a, a certain, you know, themed series of lessons or, or whatever the case might be, however it presents itself. And so, well, Wednesday nights we get together for a themed Bible study. That's what we do when we come here on these Wednesday, Wednesday nights. The intent being to gather around the Word and perhaps take a little bit of a closer look or a deeper look at an ongoing concept or theme or something like that. Again, if you've been here the last ten weeks, all ten or just a few, we've been considering Galatians, we've considered 1 Corinthians before that, a couple of smaller studies here and there. Uh, we do this for a reason, certainly. Not every assembly has a midweek Bible study. Not every assembly has a Friday night prayer meeting, for that matter. But we do it because, well, I believe that at the expense of sounding, perhaps at the risk of sounding legal, and you know that's a bad word, particularly considering Galatians and that sort of thing, uh, we know that the Lord doesn't want casual believers, right? And so he doesn't want simply casual students, if, if students at all, just casual students. He's not interested in that. He has so much more for us. He wants us to know what he has for us. And if you look at this, 66 books in this book, each one of them with small, tiny little letters, a number of them long chapters, a number of chapters, many chapters. Uh, there's a lot here. And we study it for a reason. 
Um, he doesn't want us simply to be casual and just put aside the things that we don't understand or the things that are boring to us or the things that we just don't, quote-unquote, have time to look at. He doesn't want us just to have a passing knowledge of him. He wants us to do what our title is tonight. He wants us to study him. Study him. Study his will. Study his way. Study his Word, three W words there, will, way, and word. He wants to study all of those things about him. And so we do. And that's what this passage here is essentially about. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In the King James Version, if you have a King James Version, that's what you study out of, then you know that that's what it says there. It says, study to show thyself approved. So tonight we're going to consider this simple passage. Again, familiar or no to you does not matter. We can consider it either way. We'll study the verse that calls us to study. We're going to just parse it down, break it into a couple of different pieces here, and rightly divide this verse that calls us to rightly divide all of the Word of God, written and directed to us by the Spirit and led, uh, that we're led in, and so on and so forth. It's why we come to these midweek Bible studies, and why I trust you dedicate yourself to studying at home, uh, to rightly divide things. That's what we're going to consider. Now, Everything that we do, certainly, when he wants us to be a not simply a casual student of his, when he wants us to be a sincere and a dedicated student of his, it's not so that we might feel good about ourselves. It's not so we might feel not at all arrogant. That's not ever where we're supposed to go as children of God. It's to glorify him. None of us lives to himself, Paul says in Romans 14. None of us lives to ourselves. It's not our purpose. It's not our desires that we're living for. No one dies to himself for that matter. Well, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. It's for his glory that we are well called to do everything. It's for his glory that we should desire to do everything that we do. Uh, and so, as we glorify him, we're able to more clearly more deeply see, as we glorify him in studying his word and studying who he is, we, as we deepen our understanding of him and spend more time in the word, then we well, further understand what it is to glorify him, what it is to live for him, what it is even to die for him, uh, whatever the case may be in our respective lives. When we recognize what he's doing for us, in us, and wants to do through us as we consider this word. So we're going to just, again, break down this passage tonight and consider it piece by piece. And I'll watch the clock and make sure that I don't go over tonight. It says there, be diligent. Let's look at this first piece. Be diligent to present yourself. Present yourself approved to God. Now, present means, in the Greek, to stand in the proximity of, if you get right down to it. Uh, To be in the area of. It can mean before, or what I actually kind of like in this passage, it can mean beside. To stand beside. Present yourself standing side by side, even working with the Lord. Uh, to a certain measure, that's what we're called to do. I'm not going to just dwell on that, but there is a measure at times of standing beside the Lord and walking together, walking together with him. Uh, We have, though, a standing wherever it might be as children of God. You know, if you look at in Revelation, I'm not going to turn there, but you see that great multitude of different ones. Well, there are those ones in the back of the multitude that there is however it represents itself, however it actually manifests itself in heaven, there's a distance there, right? As they're around the throne. And there are those ones we consider often that are up close, in the midst and around the throne. 
We all, regardless of distance for eternity, we all have a standing in him. We're children of God. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, express where that standing comes from and what it is. Therefore, having been justified by faith, simply believing, Jesus, our Savior, we need him. Uh, Justified by faith, that simple faith makes us made just. Justified by faith, we have peace with God, present tense. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, or by whom also, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We're justified by faith. We have peace with God. We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, present tense, even now, standing in not completion as far as our, well, as, as far as our riches and our spiritual growth, but we are completely his children. No, no question. Uh, we're authorized as his children to, well, some benefit, right? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, we can exercise that right. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can do this because we have entered into that grace. We have that peace with him. We have access by faith into grace. And so we can come boldly before him, understanding we have a standing, a place as children of God. Even if we walk away completely, I've accepted, I've believed, we can walk away, never give him another thought, and I, well, I pray that that wouldn't be anyone's situation, but it happens. Won't they be surprised when they go home to be with the Lord when this life is over? That being said, we don't walk away from him. If we want to know more of him, if we want to seek more of him, if we want to learn more of him, and we should, we come boldly to the throne of grace. Romans 8.16 tells us that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is our standing. This is who we are. This is what, well, what we have. We can present ourselves before the Lord simply because we have a standing in him as a redeemed child of God. It doesn't have to be outwardly visible to anybody. We don't have to show our faith by our works as James calls us to do. Regardless, the standing is there. Now, that verse that we are looking at, however, doesn't just stay there. As you consider all of Paul's writings, and I say it a bunch from this pulpit, it's not only left to having that standing as a child of God. There's more, there's more, there's more. And this passage speaks to that. He says, be diligent to present yourself. You have this standing, present yourself approved to God. Uh, this speaks, well, in, as far well, it goes on to say being a worker and a workman, that means taking action, speaks of rightly dividing here in just a moment, taking actions to prove yourself, present yourself approved to Him. That means considered, it means examined, it means found acceptable to Him, approved. Uh, you go and you look for produce, and I don't want to just get into silly little illustrations, but you look for produce in the store, and you pick something up and you look at it, and you might you know, smell the cantaloupe, you know, you smell a little button on the end of it. I don't smell anything, or it smells sour, I'm not going to go with that. You squish this, ooh, that's rotted, I'm not going to go with that. This one here feels just right, smells good, I'll take that cantaloupe home. I've tested it, I've well, held it in comparison to what I know to be good and what I know to be right, and it passes muster, right? Uh, be diligent to present yourself approved. That means tested, considered, examined, found acceptable. 
This doesn't just speak to just our standing. This speaks to the state that we are before the Lord. What, what was our, how am I? You know, uh, we've heard a number of different requests here. Maria and Acacia and those young girls, they're not, their state's not very good right now. They're ill. They're not feeling very well. They have some issues. A number of different other people are in kind of a sad state just now. Not something that you hope they'll stay in. Something that will improve. Our state before the Lord can fall, well, can fall pretty in a poor condition, right? And it can improve when we come before the Lord. We want to be diligent to present ourselves considered and examined and found acceptable. That will certainly happen before the Lord's judgment seat, but we can do it and should do it even now. Turn to Psalm chapter 32. Our works are going to be examined and evaluated and tested by the Lord finally when we leave this place and stand before Him. And it's tested by fire. Uh, that's 1 Corinthians 3.12, if you want to look that up on your own later on. We'll stand before the judgment seat and the Lord will test those things and see the wood, hay, and stubble and all of those things. But the results of our, well, of the conversation we're going to have with the Lord Jesus in that day, they don't and they shouldn't be a surprise to us even now. <laughs> they shouldn't be a surprise to us then, certainly. But we can see right now when we're not doing just so. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, Psalm 32, verse 8 says. I will guide you with my eye. He doesn't leave us to figure things out. We have people here who have employees. This is a common illustration I use also. We don't just wait until we're giving them their evaluation, you employers, you managers. Do you wait until you're giving your employee their evaluation to let them know what a crummy job they're doing? Or for that matter, how well they're doing? You know, I used to get evaluations from my captain. He'd pull me in, and, and in all honesty, except for just a very few times when I worked for someone that struggled for a time, I knew exactly what he was going to say to me. There was nothing surprising there because he'd already let me know. They'd already let me know what, what issues they might have had or what I was doing right, and I needed to continue on in. When we stand before the Lord and we present our works to him to consider, however again, however that presents itself, that shouldn't be a surprise to us. It doesn't have to be a surprise. Are you kidding me? It's all going up in smoke. It shouldn't be a surprise to us because we have the opportunity and the option to study even now. To consider even now, to hear what he has for us to know and do even now, should not be of great surprise to us when we stand before him. Because he says, I will instruct you, I will teach you in the way you should go. And we have the capacity to listen. Um, Jeremiah 35. Jeremiah 35 and verse 12. It's understood that God wants to prepare us, that he wants to teach us and to do so quite thoroughly, as a matter of fact. In Jeremiah 35 and verse 12. Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction to obey my words? Says the Lord. It's not just to Israel, not just to Judah that he speaks these words. Will you not receive my instruction? I have an abundance of it for you. Again, 66 books, a number of chapters. You can look it up online and see how many words and how many characters are presented in each translation that's there. And that's just the written word that we have here. Without question, again, we're going to stand before the Lord in the state of our lives and our walk of faith as we finish up. are going to be made very plain to us. But we can know it now. We can know now. When we sit and we consider presenting ourselves, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. 
It doesn't just mean present yourself in an approved manner to God. It means to present yourself almost to yourself. Look at yourself and recognize, well, where you can be approved. How you should be approved. What he wants to do in order to test you. And to bring you to an approved state. A blameless, without reproach type of state. We can present ourselves to ourselves by going to the word and considering it in depth. Yeah, I'm struggling with that. <laughs> yeah, reading this. Oh, I forgot where it said. Sometimes it's that simple. Just simply reading and, and studying out what the Lord has for us to consider. And that we haven't perhaps applied fully. It's crucial. Crucial for the child of God to understand that we can and should see ourselves now. Uh, bear ourselves out. Present ourselves to the Lord so that we can know well how we might be approved. Uh, step back and evaluate yourself with him. Um, I was thinking about that silly game we used to play when we were kids, Twister. Uh, remember that game where you just had a big white mat, red, blue, green, maybe yellow circles on there, and someone sat with a big goofy-looking spinner, and they go, Ooh. right foot, red, or something. Right. Stick your hand on a mat, and you go, spin. Left hand, blue, and so then you have to... You know, and you get all contorted all over people, and people act silly and goofy and all that kind of stuff. I was thinking about that when I was looking at our standing in the Lord and our state before the Lord. And the standing is just the option to play. You're invited to play this game, as dumb as it sounds. A game of Twister. Before long, once you start putting your hand down, you start putting your feet down, the spinner keeps on going, you recognize when you're in trouble. Man, I'm way off balance here. I'm all twisted up. Please don't say left foot yellow because I'm going to be in trouble, right? I mean, it sounds silly again. But our state can be really, really, really messed up. Whereas if you have hand, hand, foot, foot, I'm in good shape here. You know, whenever they spin this, I'm good, I'm solid, I'm firm. My state is pretty good. We can have a very, very clear idea of where we're off balance, where we're out of sorts, where we are not, well, doing what the Lord would approve of simply by... Rightly dividing the word of truth for ourselves, considering the word. We can present ourselves to ourselves for consideration by doing as the Lord tells us to and studying and being a devoted student of the word. Uh, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. We go on in verse 15. A worker who does not need to be ashamed. Paul says we're intended to be workers. Now, again, as I mentioned a moment ago, work is not necessarily a bad word for us who are familiar with grace and what grace is. Unmerited favor, different ones, you know, we can find ourselves guilty of trying to earn our way and earn our righteousness or demonstrate our righteousness by doing those things that we count good or we believe are good or we believe are right. That's not what we're intended to do. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, however, has Jesus telling us that works are indeed for us. We understand this, I trust. He says, let your light so shine before men. Bear it out. Christ in us the hope of glory. Jesus didn't use those words, but he is that light, certainly. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Man, that guy, he is remarkable. So giving, so generous, so, I mean, kind to everybody. No, so that they might glorify your Father in heaven. That's what they're intended to do. That's what we're intended to do. Let our lights so shine. 
that they might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And the best way to do that is to do those works that he calls us to, not those ones that we call ourselves to. It's his to work in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. We might have all kinds of plans, remarkable plans, things that we know. Man, God must be in this. This is fantastic. Uh, This is going to do so much good for so many people. I have this remarkable talent. I have this remarkable skill. I can put it to good use. That's not how the Lord works sometimes. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, in Acts chapter 13 and verse 1, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now we know what he called them to. He called them to go on a missionary journey and to preach his word and that sort of thing. But he didn't say to separate Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas and you know, go do what feels right to you. No, it's very specific here. To the work that I have, to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit has called each one. Called these ones, said I have a work set aside for you. This is what is for you. This is my purpose. Set them aside for the work to which I have called them. Certainly not just not to do your own works, but it's also not to just sit comfy and cozy not doing anything. There is work intended. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away, and Paul and Barnabas did do the work that they had called, been called to. You know, we spent time in Galatians, a long time in Galatians, trying to refute that concept of any righteousness coming from a list of regulations, a list of works, a list of things to satisfy in the law of Moses. We spent a lot of time saying that that's been put away for righteousness in the Lord. Works are not the source of righteousness, but they certainly are the result of righteousness, aren't they? Aren't they the... The product, the testimony of that, the evidence of that, not to the Lord who knows our heart, but to those ones who are on the outside seeing. And I'll even again go so far as to say it's a testimony to ourselves, as meta as that might sound, getting kind of heady there. But it's a testimony again. I've known when the Lord has spoken to me, this is what I have for you to do. I don't want to do that. I'll do it. But that's not what I want to do. And I have that conversation with myself. And it's a testimony to me. I know I don't want to do this. I didn't craft this for myself. This is the Lord speaking. I'm going to enter into it, not knowing what the outcome will be other than that it will be for my good because I am confident and sure that it's the Spirit speaking. And sure enough, He works it out and He gives me that testimony. Works, again, not the source of righteousness, but the product of it, the result of that. When we seek Him out, And obey Him. Faith without works is dead. Faith with works is a blessing. Living, vibrant, and good. And obeying the Lord in the work to which He calls you again. That is good works. That is glorifying your Father in heaven, as Jesus said. And that obedience leads us to that next qualifier in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker, check... Who does not need to be ashamed? I don't like being ashamed. I don't know about you, but I would, I would bet that you don't like it either. Multiple definitions say about the same thing. Shame is that horrible feeling, that painful emotion that's caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, 
or impropriety. Others say failure. Others say foolish actions. Whatever the case might be, it's a painful emotion caused by your awareness of it. Guilt is involved sometimes. Shortcoming, uh, man, I didn't do what I should have done or I did what I shouldn't have done. You know what it is. It's horrible. It's a horrible feeling. I experienced a bunch of it in my youth, as perhaps you have as well. I like that Paul encourages Timothy. He doesn't have to be greatly ashamed before anybody. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Sign me up for this, right? Sign me up to not be ashamed. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 15. Paul was, or Peter was right on board with what Paul and Jesus said when he says, But let none of you suffer, be vexed, be troubled. Let none of you be suffer, suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. What he's saying there is, don't be guilty of this, because if you're suffering for this, it's just. It's justified. Don't get involved with such things, because the suffering there, well, what credit is it to you? What credit is it to you if you suffer for such things, he says elsewhere. Uh, yet, if anyone suffers, if anyone is vexed, if anyone is troubled, as a Christian, and what, it, that's pretty broad speaking, right? If anyone suffers as a Christian, well, what does that involve? Well, it can be certainly being put in jail, certainly because you're a believer. But it can just be simply the persecution that comes. Well, with the enemy whispering in your ear, you're a failure. With the enemy whispering in your ear, you're not good enough. Or whatever the situation might be. Sometimes it can be just as simple as that persecution. And if you've struggled with those sorts of things, you know what it feels like. And that absolutely is a suffering. That absolutely is, well, some people deal with it better than others perhaps. But that is a vexation. Righteous Lot vexed his soul just in being around those ones. Just in being around those ones who were, well, elbows deep, knee deep in sin. We can be vexed by the enemy, even if perhaps our hands aren't in the middle of things. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Whatever the Lord calls us to, and he didn't call Lot to Sodom. Don't get me wrong, I'm not going to say that. But if he calls you to something, if his scripture, as you consider that and you study it for yourself and you recognize this is something that I need to adhere to as a man, as a husband, as a woman, as a daughter, as a wife, as a member of an assembly. This is what I need to adhere to. There's there's no getting around this. I'm looking for confirmation. This is what the Lord has for me. Regardless of the individual callings He has, this is what He has for me. If it causes you trouble, even in the simplest things, saints, chalk it up to being vexed. Chalk it up to being troubled. Chalk it up to those sufferings that we have in fellowship with the Lord Jesus and praise the Lord that sometimes that's as... Well, that's the extent of the suffering. I'm grateful when we don't just, oh, just dying with pain or dying with just these great, chaotic, catastrophic sufferings. Sometimes it's just as simple as just dealing with those simple persecutions that come, those simple vexations that come with just obeying the Lord. And yet it's easy, right? It is Well, simple, simple to obey him, glorify God in this manner. If anyone suffers as a Christian, in whatever manner that might be, let him not be ashamed. Isn't that awesome? I think that's awesome that the Lord can say, do this for me. It's going to hurt, but you can do it. I'm going to do it. And I get credit for it? Well, praise the Lord. 
glorifying God in this manner, sometimes quite simply. There's no shame in the reproach that comes with obeying God. No shame in the difficulty, whatever measure, however great, however small it might be. No shame in the difficulty that comes with obeying God. No shame with the, in the being questioned and the being doubted by those ones who are on the outside. As you're making the decisions that the Lord has called you to and made clear to you by His Spirit, made clear that this is for you, you they don't understand it. You're foolish for doing this, they'll say to you sometimes. Ah, there's no shame in that. Mistreatment they might bring you. Persecution, prosecution, vexation, abuse, sufferings, all those things. Whatever capacity, whatever manner it might be in. When they come as a result of a life lived for the Lord in obedience to His word after having sought Him and heard Him, there's no shame in that. And you can present yourself approved in that manner. I mean, are you kidding? To suffer shame for His name? Those apostles, Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, they were arrested, they were beaten for simply preaching Jesus as they were called to. They departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. It was their shame, not the apostles' shame. There was no shame in their being beaten for obeying the word of God, for preaching the word of God. It was the reproach that came from the others. It glorified God. Saints' shame before the Lord, shame before anybody, is well, largely avoidable. Simply by well, glorifying and honoring Him, by being tested through whatever sufferings He calls you to, by being adherent to whatever He has directed you to in the Word of God, and being about His work and His business. I want to live a shameless life, one that's without reproach, one that stands before the Lord even now before I stand before the judgment seat. I can look at him and well, honestly say, Lord, I want to serve. Just show me how. Show me how. Tell me the rules of the game, as it were. So I'm just kind of rounding back here, and I'll start winding this down. We have a standing before the Lord, a right that's given to us as children of God. We understand this. We should present ourselves uh, for examination and assessment, for consideration of his approval, of our present state and be open to hearing what he has to say. Am I being tested well? And am I testing well? You know, as he's squishing on me, do I have the soft spots? Search me, O God. Let me know if there be anything evil within me. What's the state of my situation? What are my circumstances before the Lord? And how am I dealing with them? Am I ashamed? And should I be? Those are valid questions we should hold before the Lord. If you want to know some of these things, if you want to consider those things, Perhaps you're not necessarily hearing the voice of God. Well, where do you go? So he finishes up our passage, right? Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I meant to highlight that for you, but I didn't. But I did squish these things together because they do come together. Be diligent, rightly dividing the word of truth, or even saying, be diligent to rightly divide the word of truth. This is how we have that foundation, and we build on that foundation. Be diligent. Again, in the King James Version, it says to study, but more clearly means to endeavor or to work or to pursue or to make intent and carry out one's intent. Endeavor to cut straight, rightly divide. Endeavor to cut straight the word of truth. If you want to look at it simply, it means make it your purpose to get it right. Make it your purpose to understand, to see what the Lord has for you, and to get it, to get it in the word of truth. 
to pursue everything that he's laid out for you. Listen, there are plenty of things in here that I believe truly we shouldn't spend so much time invested in. Because there are things that the Lord doesn't want us to know on this side of glory, right? He puts mysteries in here that still have yet to be revealed. We can't understand those things. And, well, you might know people who will sit and bang their head against the proverbial wall trying to figure out this thing that the Lord has shrouded, made clear he doesn't have for us to understand, putting dates and setting times, and, and this is when he's coming back, for instance, all of those things. Just spending so much time and investing so much time. And you can look at other things that are simple, and I don't want to be judgmental, but you can look at them and say, If you would put that much effort into seeking the fullness of the Spirit, say. If you would put that much effort into what the Lord calls for you to be in this capacity or that role. Again, it's between them and the Lord, and I don't want to sit and just poke and and judge. But you're banging your head against the wall of something that the Lord doesn't have for anybody to understand. Only the Father knows, right? So... There are so many other things where we might invest ourselves. So many other places that we can endeavor to cut straight for ourselves. To open it up, recognize, and to learn more for ourselves. We understand that truth and understanding, wisdom in the Lord, comes from considering His things, being educated in His things. He tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.15, Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. He had given him some direction. Just as we're given direction in the word, that we're supposed to stop and consider and meditate those things that are for us. Considering ourselves in the process. Looking at ourselves and how it applies and what we're called to do. Uh, we have a number of students here. Uh, not so many elementary school kids tonight, if any. But you know what happens in elementary school. You learn the basics. You learn the fundamentals. You learn the basics of information, 2 plus 2, how to read, what letters are, etc., etc. Those are the tools that actually you learn how to, you kind of learn how to study or how to think, you know. Again, you have to know 2 plus 2 to learn any other math and that sort of thing. You have to learn your letters to learn any kind of reading so that you can be able to learn anything else. So it's fundamental and it's basic, but as you get on into college and we have postgraduate students here, former postgraduate students, you're learning the specialized stuff, right? You're learning those things that, okay, I have this foundation, I have this understanding. Now let's get down in here. I know how. I know two plus two. I know how to read. This is available to me. Let me get in to see what is going to help me in my engineering career. Let me see what's going to help me to give patient care to somebody. Let me see what's going to help me be a better teacher. Let me see what's going to help me to actually learn how to do something. When I used to teach paramedic students and and fire students and that sort of thing, they had to be tested by the state. And I said what every other instructor said. We're going to learn this by the book. I tried not to be monotonous like this, but... But I'm going to learn this by the book. And for testing purposes, you give this answer. And this is what they're going to say. But you'll never do that in real life. When you get out on the street, when you get out in the field, you're never, ever going to use this nozzle. You're never, ever going to use uh, that medication. Do this process first. But for testing purposes, saints, I'm going to tell you, there's nothing in here. There's nothing in here that isn't worth your study. Now, again, I caution you not to bang your head on those certain things we mentioned earlier. But everything in here, in some manner, you apply to your life. There is no 
this is what you do in real life. Just check the box and go. You know, no, this is what you apply in real life. The entire thing. It builds foundation and then builds on top of that. And when you get this precept and that precept, line upon line, precept upon precept, you're adding in more and more and more. You're researching and learning. In addition to what you hear in class, I hope, you're at home researching and learning what you're going to apply to the actual job. The job of living the life that the Lord has called you to. Don't fall, don't fall into the trap of saying, oh, I'll never use that. No. Look in and see how the Lord wants to use that in your life. It won't be. It won't be a waste of time, I promise. It won't be. I've never known anyone who's sat down and studied the Word and spent time reading a chapter and said, well, that was a waste. Never heard it. Never, never heard anyone say that. Now, maybe, maybe they're just not bold enough to say But I can tell you, I've never taken the time to sit down and consider the word even in a brief time and thought, I wish I hadn't done that. Except when perhaps I was convicted about something. (laughs) But that's another story. That being said, one of the things you're going to encounter in higher education, again, is this is how the book says to do it. You won't do this in real life. The word of God is real life. It is education for you. Uh, We have renounced the hidden things of shame, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4. Not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's consciousness in the sight of God. As you consider the word and you dig into the word and you study the word, you will see that the word of truth does manifest itself in your life. You recognize, oh, this is oh, this is what I was studying. I was just studying this, this situation I'm in. You've encountered it before. You go out to work and you're like, man. I just read about this situation right here and it applies. And you see it. It manifests itself. The truth does. Uh, He goes on to say here, and for time's sake I'm going to skip, but he goes on to say, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled only to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe. If you spend your time and you aren't blinded and you're looking into the word of God, you're going to see it opened up to you and your life will be made the better for it. As you see it actually applying and as you see your circumstances being applied into the word, manifested in the word and made plain to you what the Lord has for you, it's a blessed thing to study and to research the word of God. Saints, I sit and think to myself, sit and think to myself, you know, if people would spend more time in the Word, they would be better, better capable of applying the Word. And I think of those ones who stood there and watched Jesus on the cross, right? Watching Jesus on the cross, and He's in the process of dying and giving up His Spirit. I'm not going to turn there. I have it all in my notes here. might not even read it to you. But I was thinking, when He said, My God, my God, how has, or why have you forsaken me? He said, Of course, we understand what it was that he was saying there. But, you know, what was it to those ones who listened and heard him say that? Well, I can tell you this. Perhaps if they had studied Psalm 22 and recognized and said, wait, I know that. Man, that's interesting. And they were scholars and were able to pull it out of their own minds and recognize what was going on. Or if they said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again, I'm kind of taking liberties here and speaking this way, but why have you for saying, where have I heard that? And then they find themselves in Psalm 22. 
And then they look and they see. You know, what does it say in Psalm 22? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22.1. What does it say in Psalm 22.7 and 8? All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out their lip. They shake their heads saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let Him rescue Him. Remember what they said at the cross? They could have had that in their mind if they'd memorized or considered or had familiarity or were tapped into the Lord that He might speak to them in the moment. Having studied Psalm 22, they could have looked around and said, I am seeing this in real time. The word of truth is being manifested to me in real time. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. And look right over there. Those soldiers casting lots over his robe. Saints, when you invest yourself in the word and you spend time in the word and you study to show yourself approved, a worker that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, you see that your life applies to the word and the word of God applies to your life. And you will deepen in faith. You will deepen in understanding. You will use the word in real life and it will be a blessing for you. Be moved to glorify God by studying to show yourself. Be diligent to show yourself approved to God, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I'll leave it at that.